that your hearts and minds are ready and prepared to receive the Word of God. Man, if they're not, man, that's what this part of the service is for. Amen. We just want you to be able to push aside the cares and worries of this life. Amen. They try to crowd in on us and distract us from what's important. Amen. There's an answer in God's Word for you this morning, friend. I mean, if you're struggling with something, I pray that you'll just let it go in the name of Jesus. Amen. Take this time. And just be sincere with God. Amen. You know what the scripture says. When you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. Amen. I pray that you'll just do that this morning. Sing the song with me. When I look into your holiness. When I look into your holiness. When I gaze into your loveliness. When all that surround become shadows in the light of you. And when I found the joy of 
just before we take our needs to the Lord. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's a word that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required Hallelujah You search much deeper within To the way things appear You're looking into my heart Oh glory I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made. It's all about you, all about you, Jesus. King of endless words, no one could express. How much you deserve Though I'm weak and poor All I have is yours Every single breath I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required search much deeper within to the way things appear you're looking in 
for each special need as mentioned today. We trust you, Lord, that you know the best for each one of us, Lord, and you you have great things in store. We just look forward to that time, Lord, that we're with you. We thank you, Lord. May you bless the service in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can have your seats. Let's break some chains this morning. Sing it with me. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Break every chain. Break every chain. Sing that again now. Oh, there is power. has a song for us. We'll sing that again. My, it just sounds so amazing. All of you singing that hard with your voices. Amen. I know that's pleasing to our Heavenly Father. As Brother Mitchell makes his way, let's sing that again. 
You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop, even when, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, sing it one more time. Oh, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you are here. You are here, touching every life. I worship you. I worship you. Oh, you are here, meeting every need. I worship you. I worship. darkness, my God, that is who you are, and you are, we make a miracle work, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, you are church. Amen. My God can make a way out of no way. Amen. Ask our deacons to come forward this morning, take up our morning offering. Amen. You just reach out and give us unto the Lord. Amen. We know that our tithes and offerings go to support God's
ministry and to further his kingdom in this world. Amen. Brother Andy Irish, lead us in prayer. I want to sing praises to his name. Amen. Let's sing that together. I I sing praises to your name. standing here, but I'd like to sing one more if that would be alright. Jesus, draw me close. It just sounds so nice. It really does. Let's sing it again, and let's just uh, prepare our hearts now for this part of the service as we move into this and just open our hearts to him this morning and just say, Lord, I, I'm here uh, without any agenda. I'm just here to hear from you, and I just want to open up my heart you know, and open up my mind and, and just let you have complete control. Let's sing it this morning. Jesus, draw me close, closer, Lord, to you, and let this world around me fade. Oh 
worship and obey. One more time now. Thank you, Jesus. like this mean to us. Lord, we believe that in the very depths of our heart, that this is really just a foretaste of glory divine. We shall come together in the realms of eternity, a place, Lord, where we have trouble imagining really what it would be like. But somehow or another, our spirit today bears witness that there is a place beyond this place that is eternal, inhabited by the saints, void of any temptation tears or trouble. Lord, it's our desire to go to that place. There's something pulling us to that place. Lord, we want to let you have your way today. Not only in teaching us and showing us things, but Lord, in pulling us closer to that kingdom. I pray now you'd have your way. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us as we move closer to your presence today. Lord, if there's anything in everything that we have done, that may hinder the moving of the Spirit of God. Lord, may we place it under the blood of Christ. And Father, I just pray that you would bring healing to those who need it, comfort to those who mourn, and Lord, minister your peace to those who are troubled today. We pray that you would bring every spirit under your control for your glory. And Lord, we'll give you praise and thanks. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. And all the brides said, You may be seated this morning. God bless you. Thank you, musicians. And welcome to all of you to the house of the Lord today. It's certainly an honor and a privilege to be able to gather together and to be able to be with you today. And may the Lord richly bless you uh, and welcome to all of you. Uh, I want to just take a couple of minutes, so if you could just lock in with me here. And I I won't be long, but I I just wanted to share uh, some things this morning uh, that... um, that are just on my heart today, and uh, <clears throat> I um, wanted to mention, first of all, I, we, we didn't put Sister Karen Morgley down uh, in the prayer list today, but uh, she was not feeling well. I believe Brother David's here. Uh, yeah, Brother David, God bless you. Good to have you here today, and Sister Karen is not here today. Uh, I just had a note from Sister April Grant, and she's flying home today from out west, and she was up there. Uh, visiting her family, and I told her we'd remember her in prayer. Uh, also, as well, we want to greet and uh, remember the Paschals today. They're uh, not with us, but Lord willing, 
uh, Lord willing, they'll be here next weekend. So we're looking forward to seeing Brother Joe and Sister Lisa. Uh, they're excited about the possibility of coming. We, um, we also want to continue to remember uh, to pray for the little boy, Nahum, uh, who is uh, still recovering and uh, going through the, uh, the painstaking process that the, uh, the medical people are are bringing them through and trying to get them revived. And I don't have any latest update, probably other than what you've heard, but we want to remember him in prayer. Whenever Brother Branham had a situation where, where uh, an accident happened like that or some trouble in the life of a child, he always prayed on the basis of uh, the fact that that was a, uh, and if I'm going blank on the word, premature death or a premature cutting off of life. And he always prayed against that. He said when a little baby or a little child uh, is sick and has a serious situation, he said that's Satan just trying to cut that life off prematurely. And he always prayed hard that way and and believed that uh, that was uh, something that had to be the hand of the enemy. And uh, he, he certainly prayed sincerely for that, and we should as well. We want to offer our congratulations to the Ivies who joined the uh, elite ranks of grandparents today. And uh, may God bless you. You've got a granddaughter, right? Grandson? It doesn't matter, really. You know, uh, first one especially, but um, uh, I have my black belt in both, and uh, we we. Just pray that God will bless the family. It's a, it's a great day and a, and a great milestone. So we appreciate that very much and appreciate you being here today. Um, I wanted to just talk for a moment about Sister Greg. And most of you know that she passed away uh, this, this week. And uh, we certainly miss Sister Frida and Brother Joe. They were going to come today, but they're going to be heading up to the mountains Lord willing, I'll be going down on Tuesday, and we're, they're going to have a very simple uh, graveside ceremony there next to Brother Greg uh, up in the canyon. And uh, afterwards, uh, I told Sister Frida that because we lost such special saints over this last year, we're, we're in the process of planning a memorial for all of them, for Sister Carol, for Brother Larry, uh, for Sister Greg, who were very, very special people among us. And uh, we want to have a little afternoon where we can honor all of their names and let their families know and let them be a part of it. Uh, but Sister Greg was a person who was here right from, right from the very beginning and a special person among us. Uh, when she was an infant, she contracted polio. And uh, during her early years, she had to actually undergo surgery in order for her to even walk. And it was a very difficult early uh, years for her. But uh, Sister Greg is the kind of person, she was the kind of person that persevered nonetheless and became a high school teacher. As a matter of fact, uh, she was Sister Karen Morglier's uh, uh, high school substitute teacher. And uh, she was just a very special person to everybody who knew her. And, of course, uh, if you knew Brother Greg and, and uh, you know, his way, uh, they were true mountain people, and uh, they were just, they were tough stock. They were good stock. And uh, Sister Greg, a person, many people in her condition and her situation probably would have given up a long time ago, but uh, not Sister Greg. She was just, uh, you know, just a fighter, 
And uh, even the people at the home uh, where she passed away a couple of days ago, they said, we've never seen anybody like this. She was taking two breaths a minute. And they said, you know, she just keeps breathing. She just keeps uh, just keeps hanging on and hanging on. And I, I thought, that's nothing strange at all for Sister Greg. She's just a fighter and uh, one who doesn't let go easily. She wrote me, the very last email that she wrote me was in March 19th, 2019. And uh, she, uh, she uh, commented on things after that. But the last uh, email, I, I sent out an update, and she wrote me back, and she said, thanks for the update. And I said, well, thanks for thanking me. How are you doing today? And she wrote me back, and she said, thank God I'm healed. Thank God for yours and all God's children's prayers for me and for giving doctors knowledge to help. Those were her last words to me, written in an email. Uh, <clears throat> I will tell you a little something about Sister Greg that you don't know. And that is this. That, uh, I remember years ago when we were, uh, when I was traveling uh, into Africa pretty regularly, and there was an unfinished church there. And you may remember, this was early, uh, early on when we started to help finish churches that were started over there. And one of the very first ones was, the, the, up in the mountains where there was a church built, had all the walls but no roof. And uh, they would worship in there until it rained, and then they had to get out. And you remember the people in the community were making fun of that group because they said, you know, what's wrong with your God? You didn't have enough, he didn't have enough resources to finish the church and put a roof on your building. And they were making fun of the believers there. And so uh, when I went to Africa, Brother Elias brought me up there, and I visited the church, and and saw it, and I came back here, and I told you the story and showed you pictures, and uh, I, I wanted to do something. And I said, you know, this is the, the need that they have. It's going to cost around 10000 to finish the church there. And uh, I was just sharing that. I think it was on a Wednesday night. I was just sharing some of the stories and the testimonies of the people there and a uh, wonderful little group of folks. Sunday morning, Sister Greg comes up to me and hands me an envelope, $10,000 check in there. I said, are you sure you want to do this? And she said, why should I sit in a church as comfortable as we have? And those people don't even have a roof. Take it, she said. I even checked with her family after that. And I said, you know, is this all right? And she said, they said, hey, take the check. If she gave you the check, take the check. And uh, we put that roof on in her honor over there in, in Africa. But that was the kind of person Sister Greg was. And, uh, you know, she listened carefully. She, uh, you know, she just loved to be in the atmosphere of the saints. And when, uh, you know, in her uh, former years when she wasn't in church, she would start in on Monday. She'd listen to this sermon online. Tuesday she'd listen to this preacher. Wednesday she'd listen to this. And, you know, uh, every time she couldn't be in church, she just filled her days with that and uh, just love the message and love the Lord. So we will miss Sister Greg. Um, uh, one of my er earliest memories, and uh, Peter might remember being there in the very first when we were here, we had a little gathering at the end of the year, or in the end of the year dinner. We were up in the Marriott Hotel uh, in that room, the community room they had, and we played a game. And it was like uh, we were sitting in a row of chairs facing the other row. Do you remember that? And uh, uh, we, I don't know what we were playing, but uh, it was very, very competitive. Now, I'm not a competitive person, but I, you find out who is when you play a game like that. And I don't know, uh, we, it was a guessing thing or something else. It didn't require a lot of movement, but we all had to face each other. 
in the role. And I remember sitting right across from Sister Greg, and she'd look at me like this. She'd kind of squint her eyes a little bit, and she said, she pointed her finger at me and said, I'm going to get you this round. I'm going to get you this round. I said, bring it on, sister, bring it on. And I, I remember, my wife will remember that. I, I, you know, it's, it was just, uh, I just don't remember the, the details of it, but I never forgot her finger pointing at me like that. With all the difficulties and challenges of life that she had, she just, she just loved the Lord with all of her heart and loved to be around the people, and, and uh, we certainly miss her. <clears throat> Today is a special day. Not only because it's Sister Crystal Johnson's birthday, but also because it's Theo Cross's birthday. And we need to know how old Theo Cross is, wherever he is. He's here somewhere. Theo, God bless you. April 13th is Lucas Coffey's birthday. Lucas, God bless you. And then the 14th is Steve's birthday right after that. And then Sister Shirley Buchanan's birthday. God bless you, Sister Shirley. Good to have you here. Sister Karen, good to have you here as well today. Uh, May the Lord bless all of you on your uh, birthday. Just very briefly, Chahota, Zimbabwe. Someday soon we're going to do a little special uh, presentation. Brother Aaron's going to tell us a little bit about the work that's going on in uh, Zimbabwe. I've got pictures of the church that's being constructed over there, and those, those folks are on fire uh, in building the church and doing a great job. And uh, these are saints who are receiving the Bibles over there and uh, enjoying the uh, receiving the word themselves. The books are on, on the water. Uh, they're in ships uh, going over to uh, Zimbabwe now. And uh, I, I, I mentioned this yesterday. I don't know if you saw this in some of the WhatsApp groups there, that, you know, you wonder why that, uh, if you wonder why, I love to uh, provide these things for the people there. It's, it's kind of shown in this picture. I'm going to blow up a portion of this picture. This is in uh, Tanzania where brother, uh, one of the missionaries went to visit there. And if you look at that sister, that's her Bible. See her Bible? And that's probably gotten wet uh, because it's, it's so tropical there. And, uh, you know, it's in that kind of shape. And, it's probably a Bible that's handed around several families in the church, and it, it's really gotten its use. And to me, I just I, I love to be able to put a new Bible in their hands and put it within reach. So when I saw that picture and I blew it up, I thought, wow, that's, that's the very least that we can do is to get, uh, get a new Bible over to folks like that. And these are all the folks that are newly coming into the faith, and uh, they're just really enjoying the Word of God. This was yesterday, Brother Elias over here on the right. He was over visiting a, uh, a little church in a, uh, just a little tiny community out there in the middle of nowhere. And this is the only public building in the community. It, it's called a go town. And uh, I, I don't understand that. But that's, that's a place where they can rent out and they can meet there and they do it weekly. And uh, Brother Elias went down to visit a little uh, assembly there and encourage them, and, and uh, he just does a, does a great work, uh, not only sending and organizing mi- missionaries to go all over the place, but he goes himself and uh, just, uh, just does all that he possibly can uh, for the people there. 
Brother Anwar sent me these uh, pictures uh, just recently. This is uh, one of the ministers, the brother over on the left is uh, Brother Masi, and he travels quite extensively over there and uh, brought these books. And these are, they sent me some uh, this week, and these are copies of the Church Age book. Uh, Brother Anwar is putting the finishing touches on the seals book, and that's going to be printed and then given out as well uh, over in that area. This is a group of young people and uh, some ministers there who are receiving their books as well. And uh, this is, this is a, a, a great uh, blessing for them. All these men are pastors here uh, who live in Pakistan, different places in Pakistan, and <clears throat> they're just um, very thankful. All of these uh, pictures that I get, <clears throat> they, or most of them, they come with a note, and they want to say uh, to you that they're very thankful for uh, providing these things for them because they know it's, uh, you know, just a... A sacrifice on somebody's part, and, and uh, they're very thankful indeed for receiving those things. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Let's turn in the scripture, if you will, to Luke, the fourth chapter. Are you ready for the word? Luke, the fourth chapter. Sorry, 24th. Before we read, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again we address you, Lord, and we ask and pray that you would just bless the reading of the word, and Father, may you just deal with each and every heart, we pray. Whether they're new in the faith, whether we have walked with you many years, now we give you this moment, and we ask that you would just come and speak to us, challenge us, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 24, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. They found a stone rolled away from the sepulcher. They entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed, thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and as they were afraid... And bowed down their faces to the earth. They said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered unto the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. Well, I never got to speak here on Easter Sunday, and so I wanted to take just this little thought, Why Seek Ye the Living Among the Dead? I was in a bookstore a little while ago, and uh, uh, I was looking, uh, you know, uh, bookstores, number one, are rare anymore, but Christian bookstores are almost obsolete. And uh, it's a shame. I always, you know, people, when I travel overseas, people always used to say, my, it must be so nice to be able to just walk into a Christian store and buy a Bible and so forth, and I said, I, I tell people now, it's history. We, I remember that, but pretty much history now. And uh, I was in the bookstore recently, and I was just standing there, and uh, there was um, uh, in Barnes & Noble, and there was, a, you know, the religious section that they have there. And uh, there's, uh, if, if you look at it, they have, uh, if you ever have been there, they're pretty much all the same everywhere. Uh, they have a little Bible section, and then they have some, uh, Christian fiction, they have some commentaries and so forth, but the majority of it is like Eastern mysticism or 
philosophy and that kind of thing uh, in several shelves. And I was standing there, and I was looking for something particular. It might have been a, a gift Bible and for somebody. And uh, there was, there was a, a guy there, and he was looking through all the mysticism books and the philosophies and the Eastern religions and all of that. And I, I felt like saying to him, I didn't, but I felt like saying to him, why do you seek the living among the dead? <laughs> and uh, I, I just thought, you know, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's inbred in every human being to seek for truth, to seek for something real, to seek for some kind of light that they can be guided by. And it's in every human being to, you know, to want to know and to have something certain that they can put their foot on so that they can make the next step. And I'm so thankful that, you know, I, I, I know that because I was one of those people that searched. And I, I, I wandered around the world and wandered around in my own little mind trying to find uh, some sense and trying to find some purpose in life, trying to find something real that I could put my hand on and never found it in the world and never found it in school and never found it among people. It was only when I encountered the Lord Jesus himself that's when things began to come together in my life. And I will tell you that if you're going to look for life, you have to find, uh, you have to seek the, the, the living, not among the dead, but you've got to go to the presence of God where he is. Now, uh, let me just, uh, just preamble a little bit here in this little chapter. You, you can imagine how uh, when the, the sisters came, the women came that morning to the grave, uh, they were not coming to find uh, an empty tomb. They were coming to find what they left there, what they saw happen there, the last thing. The last thing they saw was that Jesus was very dead and put into that grave. They were not coming to celebrate anything. They were coming to do the service of the dead, which was to bring the herbs and spices that were appropriate under the Jewish customs and traditions uh, to uh, leave in, in, in the graveside, to leave in the tomb, because that's what Jewish people did. They were not there to, uh, to uh, in any way anticipate. They were not anticipating as they came that something wonderful or marvelous was about to happen. They had no idea that they were actually living in the greatest morning of all mornings that the sun ever rose upon the earth. They had no idea. They would have been probably more confused and troubled and saddened because the one that they thought who would be the rescuer, the savior, the redeemer, the deliverer, the king, was now dead. They saw it. They were right there. They saw it. They heard it. Uh, they, they, were, they were observers of everything that had happened over the last week, which, again, must have been very confusing to him after he came into, into the city on the, on the back of the donkey there, and everybody throwing down the branches and saying, Hosanna, King, uh, you know, uh, Lord of the highest, and all of that. And they came in, they wondered, wow, is this the moment when he's going to, you know, seize the throne and seize uh, Jerusalem on behalf of Israel again? And we would have a day like David and Solomon where there would be uh, greatness and peace all around. I mean, you, you know, they, hey, they were, they were living there. and Those were prophecies that they thought were actually going to come to pass. And then all of a sudden, within a matter of a few days, everything changed. And now uh, Jesus is dead. And being, being in the place where he was and... You know, you can imagine how they, how they must have felt. I mean, I, I can't imagine how they must have felt, but you can, you can kind of think and, and, you know, just kind of picture this a little bit here. 
how, how these events happen, not only so quickly, but so tragically, and then wondering, what's next? Like, what do we do now? He was our hope. He was our strength. And what do we do now? And, and here they come in that, in that mode, and then when they get there, the tomb is empty. They, they, they're, looking, <laughs> they're looking there, and the Bible uses a couple of key words. It says that they, they looked, and, and they, in verse 4, and it came to pass as they were much perplexed. That's what you call a biblical understatement. They were much perplexed. Like if they were scratching their heads over how he got in there, now they're really scratching their head over how they got out. <clears throat> Is there some conspiracy here? Is there some, something here that we, we, we missed? Has, has the ship left and we're not on it? You know, you've got to wonder how they're feeling about this. And then they see these two men with shining garments. And then... Five, and as they were afraid, there's another biblical understatement. I mean, uh, what are, what are, who are these guys and what are they going to do? And nothing's been said yet. And these fellows asked the simple question they said, these angels, why seek ye the living among the dead? And then, of course, they go back as, as God would do and God would allow. Here they go back to the scripture and they, they appeal to that and say, do you remember when Jesus said this and this and this? And, and they, then they started to remember. Well, the message finally gets through and they go back and tell the disciples that Jesus is risen. He's not in the grave. And you can imagine now that they're, they're, they're in the same place that the women were when they came to the, to the tomb. And, but now, now here they are and they haven't seen this empty tomb. They haven't. They haven't any, any idea what this actually is looking like now this morning. And so there's a lot of confusion surrounding this. Confusion that happens very fast. Now, I, I'm going to take you this morning on a, at a couple of different stops. And we'll just see how far the Lord will allow us here uh, to go. But just stay with me here. This is a statement that's found in 1965. Brother Branham ministered and... Brother Bram's message is uh, special to us. How many would agree? It, it, is, it is special because it illuminates where we are in time and what we refer to as the end time. And there's many wonderful things that are here. But I, I want to just refer to this in the rising of the sun. He says, now, that is the greatest week of history. He said the greatest celebration of all times. Easter is where he proved what he said. And he's the only one that's ever done that, prove what he said. And as people say, well, we should wash feet once a year, and on Friday we take the communion. And all of those things are just merely tradition. And all tradition is not necessarily bad. I don't mean to imply that, and neither did Brother Branham here. But I remember growing up in the Catholic Church, they had odd traditions that, were, that, were, that took place in Easter. I mean, it was the oddest time of the year when it came to ceremonies and all, all the things that went on there. And uh, I, I've told you before about uh, uh, Shroud, Shroud Tuesday, which, uh, which we celebrated and called Pancake Tuesday. And if you know any Catholic families, they, uh, they, some still do it, apparently, where you, you, you're, my mother used to make pancakes, and she'd put things in the pancakes that you had to discover. So there was, in some pancakes, there were nails and there were, in some pancakes, there was money, in some pan, coins. In some pancakes, there were uh, uh, relics, like little crosses uh, from rosary beads. 
and in some uh, pancakes there were buttons. And whatever pancake you got, it was indicative of what you were going to be. And uh, so we were always excited about Pancake Tuesday because we wondered what we were going to be. Now, chewing on a nail, uh, discovering the nail, to me, usually implied that you were probably going to be a dentist. But it was not meant to be that. It was meant to be that you're going to be a carpenter. You're going to be a house builder. Or if you're, you, you find money in the pancake, then you were going to be a banker. You're going to be a businessman and so on and so forth. Those, uh, I mean, that was, uh, it's one of the traditions that we had uh, in our home around Easter time. And if you found a relic in there, you were going to be a priest or a minister. I always found the relic. Always chewed on the relic. And I thought, why couldn't I get the money? But those those are what we refer to as traditions, and people will go to church on on Easter. You might never see them again for the year, but they'll they'll come on Easter because they recognize that this is a a Sunday. At least you should go if you don't go any other ones. Now, Brother Bram's asking the question that we should ask in in times like that, or when we discuss it this way, and say, what what good would any of it do you, whether you had Lent or not Lent, if there's no life in you? And really, the whole thing is just a memorial. It's just really a ceremony. What, what, what good is Lent to give up 40, th- something for 40 days? Uh, I, I always uh, gave up things I didn't like in Lent. Always did. Thought for a long time about what I was going to give up for Lent, and it was always something I didn't like. I never liked turnips in my growing up years. Still don't. And uh, I, I would always, so I'd t- tell Mom, because Mom wanted to know, what are you giving up for Lent? And I'd always say, turnips, you know. and say. We need to put more relics in your pancakes, buddy. Satan doesn't care how religious you are or how right you are in your doctrine. If you miss that life, you won't come up anyhow, no matter how religious, how good, how many churches you belong to or will belong to. It doesn't matter one thing unless you're born again. Now, that's really quite a serious statement, isn't it? In other words, it all hinges on this new birth. Therefore, if God raised up Jesus from the dead, did he raise him up for a memorial that we would just celebrate? And is this resurrection morning one day in the year or a certain day that we celebrate this? Or are we benefactors of his resurrection? Can we truly say, because he lives, I also live. Because he rose from the dead, I also have come forth from the dead. I've been quickened and made alive. A benefactor is somebody who, 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 who prospers directly from the work or the, uh, the, the experience of another. And, and if we are benefactors of his resurrection, then the, the change in us should be as startling as the change was that day when he came forth from the dead and exchanged that tomb for a new body that he stepped in. What does it mean to me? What's the relevance to me? Now, we believe by faith that he raised from the dead. But what has that got to do with me? That was 2,000 years ago. Does this have any application today? Does this have any relevance today? I'll leave you to answer that question in your own heart. What does it mean to me? 
In other words, are we just here this morning because it's Sunday morning? Are we just here this morning because your parents dragged you here? Are we just here because it is a right and customary for us to come and worship together today? How about if we took this away? How about if we took the nice building away and all the trappings that we have here today? Would it, would the resurrection mean anything to you today? Would it be relevant in your life today if we took away the comforts or the ability or the freedom to be able to come to church and don't take those freedoms for granted? If we took it all away, though, what would it mean to you? Would Christ be alive in your heart? Would it be a, a memorial day to you, or would it be, hey, no, this is my life, this is who I am? i got a question for you in just a moment here. When they said that he is not here, he has, he has risen, it means, it's a very strong word, it, it's a very uh, positive, very clear word, it means to asleep, uh, rouse from the sleep of death, or to recall the dead to life. This is, what, this, is what they, uh, this is what happened to Jesus, and this is what the word means. It means to rise up from a seat or a bed, to rise and cause to appear uh, so that people can see you. It means to cause to be born, or to raise up a building, or to construct or erect something. It, it, it's, it's definitely a change from where you were to where you are now. And, and this is what they said. He's not, he's not dead. He's not here. He has risen. He's, he's ascended. And he is appearing somewhere else. He is, he is going to appear to you, but he's appearing somewhere else. And so therefore, don't look for him here. He has risen. He has come forth. We find this word in about 150 places in the New Testament alone. And John, uh, Jesus said, uh, he answered and saith unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. It, it, that was not a, uh, you know, just a, it, it, it referred not only to uh, the conversation at hand about the temple, but it referred more directly to the resurrection that he would eventually experience himself, that he would raise up. And we find John 5:21, and as the Father raised it up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. So this word we find, it's used in very specific instances all the way through the scripture and all the way through the book. Now, I, I, need, you to, I need you to think about this because most of you are familiar with this idea that if, if indeed a person is born again, then now we say it this way, it is not me that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. I, I, need, you to, I need you to participate in this with me. If we're truly born again, then something about me has died and something new lives now. It is true that that spirit that's in me is actually the Holy Spirit. If you believe that, say amen. It is true that it is not just, it is not just the spirit of my parents. It is not just the product of my genealogy. But the life that's inside me is the, capital T, capital H, capital E, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God actually lives in me. And therefore, if that is true, if that is actually true, then I don't need to ever try to be a Christian. I don't ever, come on, I don't need to, I don't need to learn the rules of Christianity and try to become that. If, if what we're saying is actually true, then I am a part of God. Can you go, can you handle that? 
Here's a church age book. You might wonder now, when you use the word eternal, and not use it in the way that we've been taught through the years, this word eternal, when it applies to God, it means to be without beginning or end, ever enduring and never ceasing. Somebody say amen. Ever enduring, never ceasing. That's eternal. Which is the life of God. Now then, only sons and daughters of God have life eternal. The kind that never had a beginning, but always was. Do you believe that? I'm going slow here for the, for the moment. Only sons and daughters of God have life eternal. The kind that never had a beginning, but always was. That's not everybody. That's for sons and daughters of God. In other words, let's say it this way. If we were going to do a family portrait here today of the Coffee family, and Pierce here figured, ha, huh, you know what, I've always wanted to be a part of that family, and he came up and he said, can I be, a, can I be in the picture? Why, well, he could come in and we could, you know, put him in the front, and, and, and we could put our arms around him, and, and everybody would see the photograph of the Coffee family, and Pierce would be in there. Huh, you know what, would that make Pierce a Coffee? No, sir. That, that doesn't make him a coffee because he associates with us, right? In the same way that you can come to this church and you can sit here and I appreciate you being here today and I appreciate your attendance and all of that. But let me ask you the question that's obvious. Does that make you a Christian because you come here? Does that mean that you have eternal life? No. All right. Let's just say you took all of the sermons and all of the Bible and you went home and you learned everything. Dress code, looks, uh, conduct how much to give for tithing, uh, which events to show up for and which not. And you learn the Word, and you, you looked at the Word, and you, you figured everything, all the rules out, and you came and you practiced all of those. Would that make you a Christian? No, sir. Let me tell you very clearly. <clears throat> Only sons of God have life eternal, the kind that never had a beginning but always was. You have something in you now that is eternal without beginning or end. It's not put on. It is within. Say it with me. It's not put on. It's within. There's something birthed within. It is the Spirit of God. It is a part of God Himself. Say that with me. It is a part of God Himself. Say it again. It is a part of God Himself. It is... The life of God. Do you believe that? Wow. Now, that's worth talking about for a little bit this morning. That's worth talking about because it's something that you cannot learn. It's something that you cannot purchase. It's without money, without price. Isn't that right? It is something that is not acquired by reason of enduring. You know, you don't get get it because you come for so many years. It is not something that you attain because you figure it out. It is not something that you, uh, you, you get because of your good works. It has nothing to do with any of those things at all. Let me tell you, if you are a part of God and the life of God is in you, that means that you had eternal life. You always were and you always will be. Or eternal means nothing. You're talking about the definition, it is ever enduring and never ceasing. And you never have to try to be a Christian then. I said, you never have to try to be a Christian then. The life just expresses itself. 
when a seed begins to, is germinated and uh, an egg is germinated in the womb of a woman, no one ever needs to tell that baby how to grow, how to form, what to look like, what to do next. No one gives that baby any intelligence at all. You know why? Because the life is in the seed, and that life expresses itself when it comes into the right contact and the right environment, and the right things happen mechanically to it. It's going to express itself because the life is within. The life is never given from the outside in. It's given from the inside out. And I'll tell you what, there's no difference in the spiritual birth that when a person is quickened and born again, there's something on the inside that begins to develop and show itself, and nobody needs to force it and say, you can't do this and you can't do that. It just needs to be fed. It just needs to be watered. It needs to be fertilized. It needs to get into the presence of the sun and it will express itself by nature. Do you believe that? It would be great if sitting in here could get you eternal life. It would be great if eternal life had a price tag. It would be great if eternal life came on on the form of a degree. It'd be great because we could attain to that. We could learn that. We could get tutors and we could get, uh, you know, jobs that would give us enough money to purchase that. But it's not. It's the Spirit of God. It is the life of God Himself. It is actually a part of God. My goodness, if you believe that and if you know that and if you have that, you're a blessed person this morning. You never need to put that on. Let me tell you something. I I can prove that to you by the Scripture. You remember uh, in the story of when uh, Elisha uh, uh, died and uh, Elijah was taken up to heaven, but when Elisha died, you remember what happened to him? There was a a bunch of Jews who were taking the body of Elisha, and uh, they they encountered an, an enemy force. And they were carrying him in the funeral procession, and they said, oh, wow, we got to deal with this enemy. So they just went to a cave, and they threw the body, you know, gently. They, they placed the body of Elisha in the cave there, and uh, they didn't realize it, but there was a man who was in the cave already dead. And, and when, when they laid him in there, they went off and, hey, you know, they went off and found the enemy and chased them. And all of a sudden, the guy who was dead in the cave, he stands up. Let's find out what Brother Branham said about it. We find his successor, Elisha, a type of Christ, and the church, later a dead man, threw it on his bones and he came to life. That quickening power was in the grave with him. I said that quickening power was in the grave with him. It's always there when you get the quickening power of God. Remember, in Christ, we are flesh of His flesh, bone of His bones, name of His name, bride of Him. We are in Him. We are flesh and His bones. His flesh and His bones. In the same way, in the same way that Eve was a part of Adam and came out of Adam directly, we also came out of Christ. And therefore, if you were going to reverse the process, there was only one woman who could go back in the side of Adam, and that was the one who came out of there. That was Eve. No other woman fit back there. Let me tell you, there's only one bride going to go home with Christ into the millennium, and that's the bride that came out of Him in the first place. That's the bride of Jesus Christ. God has already raised us up. Potentially the quickening power that raised from a life of sin has potentially raised us up in Christ, which the resurrection will bring us forth in the full maturity. So therefore, what we got now is really just a down payment. But it's enough to work. It's enough to pull you out of your, out of your long hair. It's enough to pull you out of your sinful habits. Would you agree? It's enough to pull you out of your smoking. It's enough to pull you out of your church. 
It's enough to pull you out of your bell-bottoms. Sorry. I grew up in the era of bell-bottoms, right? And the wedges they put in were bell-bottoms. And if you say amen to that, I know how old you are. And the other day I was going through a belt with my wife, and we were just standing there at the cash register, and I'm looking around, and I see this. There's a pair of bell-bottoms hanging on a mannequin. And I said to my wife, really? She said, yeah, they're coming back in style. I thought, wow, we are at the end of the world for sure. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Let me tell you, the Spirit of God was strong enough. The potential, the portion you have, the token you have is strong enough to get your attention, strong enough to cause a new birth. Come on, it's strong enough to do different things with your face and your hair and your clothes and your wardrobe and your money and your vacation, right? Pretty strong, isn't it? I mean, really. It, it'll, it'll, make you, it'll make you deal with a girl the right way. It'll make you deal with a boy the right way, too. I'll tell you what, it, it'll give you standards you never knew existed. It'll give you moral boundaries that one day you'll thank God for. Even if you never knew them back in the world, in the hog pen of the world, you'll thank God for those moral boundaries. And you got them because you got a, a, a portion of that life of Christ. Now, so, in other words, Brother Bam is being very clear. We don't have it all, but we got enough. And, and that much will, will cause you to walk and live a Christian life. I said that much that you got is strong enough to help you live a Christian life in a very ungodly world. Look, I've had dozens of conversations lately with people individually, and I just, I just had to say, forgive me for being personal, but I just had to say this, that, uh, you know, when, when, we, uh, when we grew up in the world, uh, when we grew up with our kids, when, we, when my wife and I were raising our kids, you know, we had challenges, and we had uh, computer games that were like Pac-Man, you know, you know and, and things like that, and we thought, wow, how horrible, what a devil we have in the world, you know, and I... And, uh, you know, we, we, we debated Net Nanny and all the rest of it. Don't laugh. And, I, you know, how to protect our kids and all the rest of it. And, and, and we, learned, we learned through those years that, you know, we've we got to do everything we can to raise our kids right in this world because, you know what, we're living in a world that's falling apart. And, and then, then it dawned on me one day that, you know what, if the world is, is where it is today, we're raising our boys to raise their families in a world that's more fallen apart, right? So they've got a bigger challenge because the world is in more shape. It, it, it doesn't sway back and forth now anymore, folks. It's going in one direction. It's falling apart. So it's more fallen now. It's more fractured. It's more evil. It's more, uh, there, are, there are some real evil things that exist in our world. And there are things that will swallow your children whole if you let them and you don't keep your guard up. Right? And, and so I, I, was, I was talking to, uh, you know, some, some people who are raising kids now. And I, I was thinking about some issues, some real things that have happened among fam, good families now that have happened. And I'm thinking, wow, they're, they're in the process of raising their kids. So my grandkids who are here, some of them are here. And, you know, they're, they're, they're now growing up in a world that's falling apart. And eventually we want to train them to be responsible young men and young, young sisters and, and, and to grow and, and to, and to get all they can from the Word of God to raise their kids in a world that's even more fallen apart? 
I got a, I got a request from you. I would like you, if you don't mind, if, you, if you're the type of people who write down prayer requests, I'd like you to pray, uh, ask the Lord this on my behalf. You, you ask him, how in the world do I encourage families today to raise their kids in such a mess so that they can train their children to raise their families in a bigger mess? If time goes on, you've got you to just kind of think for a minute how bad this is going to become. Well, what do I say? Because... I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm 29 and holding, and I, I realize that, you know, my, our experiences are a little outdated. They're a little outdated. My examples are a little outdated when it comes to modern warfare. Because I'll tell you what, young people today are moving at a speed that is really even hard to believe. Because they're so very often steps ahead of their parents, technically speaking, it's kind of scary. Richard scary. It's, you know, like the, the secret apps, the stuff that young people have today that look like an occupation, like a game, and they're really channels of communication. <laughs> they exist and there's, there's, you know, in a sense, uh, it, it's, it's becoming more challenging all the time. Because, like, and here's the struggle that I have. The Bible hasn't changed. The message hasn't changed. But something's changed. Because now by the time you talk to young people about, you know, the proper way to court with a girl or get to know a girl or a boy, they're way ahead of that. They've been communicating with this person a long time. Come on. So we, we can seal everybody up in a cave. That doesn't work because it creates rebellious young people. Now the amount of young children that are being treated for stress disorders in ERs over this last 12 months would blow your mind. Between one and four years old. And the, the effects of social media. And you, you think, well, brother, here you go again. Do you mind if I just shut you out for a minute? You can. But I will just say this, that I think it's only now that we're kind of realizing, whether we want to admit it or not, the scope, the, the level of damage that that kind of stuff can do. Not to everybody. And for all the people who thought, well, this is great because I can keep in touch with my old friends, it's kind of turned into more than that. A lot of people have weaponized social media without mercy. I'd rather be caught by a bunch of pirates in the Caribbean than to have my name. Hey, I'm not, I'm not joking. You only need one accusation made against you, and it becomes a global piece of news. And it may not even be true. That's the crazy thing. You all right? 
Can I ask you a question here based on what Brother Ram said? This quote really, this really got my attention. You were, you were sometimes darkness, he said. But now are you the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's the commandment. That's scripture. So if you're the type of person that likes to have a Bible verse, there it is. If you're a Christian, walk like it. If you're a Christian, act like it. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to tell you how to become one in a minute. But if you are one, listen up. You have a certain responsibility to walk a certain way. You have a responsibility that, especially if you're older than one, you probably got people behind you who are watching you in your example. Whether you like it or not. And so, therefore, we all have responsibility to do right, to be right, to live right, to act right. And not just because uh, we don't want to get caught doing something wrong, but you know what? I, I believe that if we're to walk as children of light, it's because if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. That's why. If we love him, we'll raise our children right. If we, if we love him, we'll do everything we can to keep our marriage strong. If, if we love him, if we love him, we'll do everything we can to create an atmosphere of peace in our home that the Holy Spirit's always welcome to come in and deal with young hearts. It's not because you have to. It's not because Brother Barry advised you to. But it's really because, you know what? This is what's pleasing to the Lord. This is what brings his presence near. Now, so here's Brother Branham now, and he says, Show me one place where any person was ever sprinkled for the remission of sins in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he said, If your name is on the Lamb's Book of Life, you will walk in the light. God's obligated to bring, to, to bring the light across your path. You will walk in the light. You will See the light. God will reveal it, and you'll walk in it. i got to admit to you that, you know, there's, there's just, all of a sudden you've got people walking all over the place. Now, none of us are perfect, right? Let's be honest. None of us are perfect, and we don't always walk a flawless walk in this life because, after all, none of us are perfect. But you know what? What's, important, what's more important than you trying to walk perfectly is you being correctable in your heart, by the Holy Spirit, who we just said lives in you. That's where he lives, right? He's not in the White House. He's not in Times Square. He's in your heart. And so, therefore, if that's true, then the Bible says that if you're a child of light, walk in the light. Act like you're, in, you act like you're a children of light. Dress like you're a child of light, and so on. And Brother Randall says, you know what? If, if, you're, if you're an elect, if your name's on the Lamb's Book of Life, what a place to have your name. It is the best place to have your name. Then there's a consequence to that. You will walk in the light. You can be correctable. In other words, I should be able, I should be able to preach the word uh, in this church and you not chew my head off afterwards. <clears throat> because it's the word. So let's start just from the very beginning. Watch it just in a couple of screens. If you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, you've never been baptized in his name, all right? If you never have, watch for the next few screens here, just very basically. We start out in the book of Genesis, and God said, let there be light. The earth had seeds in it, because God does everything by seed. But seeds are dormant as long as there's a form of darkness around the earth. The earth was covered in darkness, right? You know the book of Genesis? You ever read it? The earth was shrouded in darkness. There were seeds laying there, but seeds are not going to do anything unless the sunlight reaches them. 
And so as long as the darkness was there, there was no activity. There was no growth. There was no birth of a seed. There was no quickening of that seed as long as that darkness was there. And then eventually the Bible says that the darkness was removed and God said, let there be light. And as soon as that light, excuse me, as soon as that light struck the earth, then all of a sudden we had growth. Right? Let every seed bring forth of its kind. And it's because of the light. It's because of what uh, the presence of God brings. And, and so uh, this is what's happening. Now let me tell you this, that if, if you're a child of God, if you're a seed of God, but you've never, you've never encountered him, you've never experienced the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're probably a dormant seed waiting to happen. And all you need is to come into that presence and let the Holy Spirit break through with his glorious light. And quicken that seed gene of God that lays in you. And you know what? Uh, life is never the same ever again. How many would agree? You that have experienced that, you know that's true. Brother Branham said, well, uh, let's, let's go down to the next paragraph here. Uh, he says, God didn't say he's going to raise up a new generation. He's going to redeem the one that's here. He redeems the one that's already here. He ain't going to make no new world. It's the one right here. He's just going to burn it off and cleanse it like he did you. How many know that God deals with us the way he dealt with the earth? Right? Wash it off, and then he cleanses it off with the blood, and then fire comes in, and new life comes. He said his plans must remain forever. God doesn't change the plan. Well, look at another stage of this now. So when the light comes, it's able now to affect the seed. Bring that up into your time now, and, and look at what God does. When the word for your day, which is the light, how many would agree? The, the word for our day is the light that God shines in a particular age. In other words, we're not going by Luther's light. We're not going by John Wesley's light. We're not going by the light of the early church. Are you with me? So the light of our day, when that strikes that seed that's on the inside, you know what? There's a new birth takes place, and then there's a new nature that goes on display. And all of a sudden now, your life, because the, the life that's in you now, now, not back then, but now... It's the same, listen, it's the same life that actually wrote this word, right? The li- are you with me? The life that you have inside you now wrote this word. And, and therefore, if that light that's in you tells you it's okay to smoke a cigarette or to cut your hair if you're a girl or not to ever have to cut my hair because I'm a boy, but I'm doing it like everybody else in the world does, you've got a different spirit there. Because God acknowledges his own word in your life. Isn't that right? So you can't have the Holy Spirit in you telling you one thing that's contrary to the word. And then God writing the word his way. Because this is a declaration of his will. This is a declaration of his will. And so therefore when the word of the hour strikes that seed of God. It's going to bring forth. Because every seed comes forth after its kind. This is how new birth happens. Okay. Now. Watch what Brother Bam says again. You begin to be germatized as your body in your great-grandfather. You begin to be germatized as your body, the natural person, in your great-grandfather. That's three back. Right? Think now. The germ began to become active. Did you know that? Here he uses the Bible example. Levi paid tithes when he was in the loins of Abraham, his grandfather. So he's actually credited, because it's three generations back, Levi, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham. So when Abraham paid tithes, right, Levi is credited with that 
because he's three generations up and uh, he, he's, he's blessed with that promise because uh, he, Abraham, his grandfather, great-grandfather did that. And he says, and you come through your great-grandfather, your grandfather, down to your father, and that's how you become dermatized for your body. God brings you through three stages. Is it all right if we draw a parallel and say that in, in the days of Luther, something sprouted out, right? That wasn't it back then. Just like Abraham wasn't Levi, but Luther was not the bride. But what did we have next? We had another stage, right? And we had sanctification. Then we had Pentecost and the restoration of the signs. But you know what? There was still another stage to come after that, right? We come into a bride age. So in other words, there's three, and then there's a life that's produced. Are you with me? So let's look at it again. And the light for your day strikes that earth, and this is the earth. There's something that's made alive, and that darkness, that nature flees. That old nature, that old nature doesn't have control over you like it used to. So that now, guess what? You can walk as children of light. I'm just summarizing a whole bunch of things real, real shortly here. But remember now, when a person's born again, there's a new man in the control tower. There's a new man at the wheel of the ship, and he runs the show now. He's the one who's the guide. So when we go to make a turn one way and it's not the right turn, he's there to check us, and he's there to, to make sure that we don't carry on on that path. We go this way. And you know what? If, if, if the Holy Spirit that's in us is in control of the ship, isn't he going to guide us according to the Bible? Right? Isn't he going to guide us according to that, to the word of the hour? Sure he is. So therefore, we're going to go and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the first step, to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that what the Bible says? So that's going to be your first step. That's going to be your gateway. That's going to be the way in. That's going to be the way for you to come into his presence and, and to actually begin to see the light and to walk uh, in newness of life for the rest of your days on this earth. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I, 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 if, if I had my choice, even if I didn't have eternal life, I think I'd want to live a Christian life because I, I, I think the Christian life is the better way. I, I, think it's, I think it's a wonderful thing to have love and to have forgiveness. Do you, do you realize how many people in, go through life and never experience forgiveness? And, and never experience a sound family and a loving family and, and, and have responsibility and have, uh, you know, a conviction about things. They have, uh, you know, the ability to repent about things. There's a whole lot of people who don't have that. They, they will, they will uh, commit crimes and it doesn't affect them. They'll, they'll uh, ridicule people and carry right on. It doesn't convict them at all. I'll tell you what, when a Christian does something wrong for somebody, I don't know how, about you, I don't know how you feel now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing 64. I'm just south of 64. And I, I just had a situation this week where I had done something that offended a person. Not in a great, it wasn't a great deal. But it was just a little thing, and they brought it up to me, and I thought, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And I went away feeling so bad for that because, you know, I think, wow, I, I just, the last thing I want to do is to offend somebody. And then I thought at the end of it, I made it right. I apologize, and I made it right. But you know what? I'm so glad that I got that ability to feel bad about doing bad. It's a bad thing when you don't feel bad about doing bad at all, but you just carried on doing it again. That's a bad thing. 
But the Holy Ghost gives you conviction. Now, I, I say this, it's good to live a Christian life, but I'll tell you what, I believe that we have more than that. I believe that the, the, the elect of God have eternal life, which is a part of God living on the inside. And therefore, we don't need to try to be Christians. We don't need to try to be believers. You're a part of God. This is not trying to join the movement. This is not trying to become something to please somebody. I'm trying to live a good life so I'll attract a girl. Hey, forget it. If the girl is really born again, she's going to go after a born-again guy. Somebody holler amen. amen. If a born-again girl is looking for a real husband, she's going to look for a born-again guy. Because that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible declares, right? We had a prophet that come right along behind it and said, don't ever marry an unbeliever. Hey, if you're children in light, walk as children in light. I'm not sure how much clearer that needs to be. If you're a child of light, hey, we have a responsibility with our money. We should do the right thing. And so on and so on. Can I go just a little further? Now, to see Christians today, it's 1964, See, Christians today who can do anything that the rest of the world does, act like them, swear like them, drink like them, smoke like them, root in the pig pens of sin, dance halls and things like that, and still say they're Christians? You can't do that, friend. Why don't I ride over the top of that one more time? You see, Christians today who can do anything the rest of the world does, act like them, swear like them, drink like them, smoke like them, root in the pig pens of sin like them, dance halls, Things like them. And you know what? Whether the pig pens are real or whether they're e-pig pens really doesn't make a difference, right? It's still a pig pen. You can't do that, friend. You can't can't do that. You know what? Because you're a contradiction. And someone who lives a contradiction is a hypocrite. I'm just telling you what he said. That's the reason people don't believe in the power of God and the signs and wonders, because they've died to those things, the things of God, and are resurrected over yonder in the world. But those who are dead to the world are raised in Christ and are looking to his promise. That's what they're looking to. They're looking to his promise because they've been quickened. They've been made alive. Everybody with me? They're not dead. They are alive. They're looking to the promise. They believe in the promise. And as a result of the promise, they're interested in the launch sequence. I told you I was going to make a couple of stops today. I put this on here for Henry. But I need to tell you what this is about. Whenever a rocket blasts off the earth, <clears throat> it, um, there's, a very, there's many, many precise calculations that need to be made to get that rocket where it needs to go. Make a long story short. There are several sequences that they, um, they go through. They, they checklist as they get in this thing. And they prepare it and they fuel it and they get everything all ready. And then they put the pilots or the astronauts in there, strap them in, oxygen flowing, everything else. And they go through a countdown sequence. And this is a part of the launch sequence uh, description or program that they have. Very precise. A lot more precise than what I'm describing to you. But they do this countdown, three, two, one, and then you watch them. Uh, if, if you're able, 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 if you know anything about it, they're flipping buttons and they're pushing things because they have a sequence. They have to do that in order, just like the sound system back there. There's a sequence for turning on the sound system. I didn't know that. 
I, w- I came in one Wednesday night, and I thought, I'm going to help these guys out. I'm going to turn on the music, and I'm all ready by the time they got here. I was the first one in the church, and I thought, I'm going to create an atmosphere so everybody comes in is going to be able to listen to music, and it's going to be really nice. So I got back there. I mean, it's not my first computer, not my first DVD player I've ever turned on. So I got to looking at that, and I said, there's an on button, and there's a power button, and there's a, so, buddy, I got the pushing buttons. There was no broadcast that night. There was no recording that night. They still look at me funny when we talk about that night. You know why? Because, and then after that, Peter drew up a launch description. <laughs> if you are indeed qualified, this is how you turn it on. Brackets, not the pastor. If you see the pastor at this board, you know, tell him he's wanted on the phone or something. So these scientists go through this launch description, and they go through this process, and they have this engine. I mean, this mother of an engine that's there to get this dude off the ground. You've got to imagine now it's all this weight sitting flat on the ground, going nowhere, no momentum, and they've got to get this thing up. And when they get it up to a certain height, then they've got to get rid of that part of the rocket, ignite another one so they can jettison it off to another part of the universe. And then they've got to get it back home. So... Launch and the sequence is really, really important, especially when you understand how big and how heavy this thing actually is. Now, I don't have all the specs here, but we were looking it up last night because William wanted to know how heavy it was, and it was over four and a half million tons of weight that was on that tarmac. And so this engine does the greatest work this first engine, it does this greatest work where it actually ignites and is strong enough to push that uh, rocket off, off the earth. Imagine off the earth. It goes real slow at first and lifts it up. And it only goes a short way, but it does the heavy hauling at the very first and, and pulls that whole thing up there. And then when they hit the right buttons in the sequence, that engine's burned out. They only carry enough fuel to do that because they don't want to add extra weight to it. And they, uh, they bring that thing uh, up to a certain height, and then they click the button, and that whole uh, 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 portion of the rocket drops off, goes in the ocean, and then they uh, f- ignite the second rocket, and it takes off. Now, that second rocket is not near as big because it doesn't need to break through the atmosphere, and it doesn't need to lift it from a dead weight. Now it's already in motion. It's already moving. It's out in space. It's weightless uh, pre- pretty much, and so it just needs to be jettisoned out to the right area. So I, and I'm not a rocket scientist here. Uh, this is rocket science, but the, the, I'm not a rocket scientist. But the, the idea is that every engine that they shoot is smaller. Every uh, subsequent engine is smaller than the one that got it to where it is. And then when they come back to Earth, it's really interesting uh, because gravity now is at work in their destination. They have what they call guiding rockets, which are guiding engines, which are little small little devices that they put in the side of the uh, spaceship, and they just turn on for a second or two, you know, and they they correct the, the, the trajectory. They correct it the way it's going. So there's no big engines when it comes back into Earth again or back to its destination or if it's going to land on, on Mars or whatever. It's just these little guiding rockets that are there. You say, Brother Barry, it's nice. Let me say this. I believe that the greatest 
rocket, the greatest thrust that a person can experience in life is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring them into the faith out of this world and lift, lift that individual right where he's planted, right where he's always been, and lift them into the presence of God. Now he's in a new atmosphere, right? That, let me tell you, there are angels that are watching over that. Do you believe that? There are forces of heaven that are actually reaching down to pluck you at a certain point in time, to pluck you out of the hands of the enemy, and to bring you out of this earth's atmosphere. Somebody say amen, and bring you in the, into his presence. And then, you know, when you, when you get going, you get started, uh, I'll tell you what, there's another rocket that fires off. And Brother Branham referred to it as a rebaptism. He referred to it as, a, uh, you know, a, another experience with God. And, and not another new birth, because you can only be b- born again one time. But, uh, you know, another time. Brother Branham said when he watched, D, when he watched uh, uh, the Ten Commandments, he said it was almost like I was born again when I saw that pillar of fire. And he said it looked just like the real thing. And Cecil B. DeMille must have had some kind of revelation. But he said when I saw that, he said it was almost like I was born again. It was just such a stirring in his life. And and I'll tell you what, I I think it's a mistake for us, especially those of us that have truly been born again, that there is only one genuine encounter with God. I believe there are many along the way. Because there there are times when your thinking can get messed up because of this world. And because of the pressures that are out there. And because of social media. And because of what other churches are doing and other people are doing. And people do wacky things. And sometimes you can become even bitter about all of that. And you can become indifferent to things when, hey, we're supposed to act and think and talk like Christians. And sometimes we need to just get at the altar and just say, Lord, just refill me again. Just just give me that other, just Lord, just come by and take my heart afresh. Let me dedicate my life afresh to you. Because we live in a messed up world. Paul even says the same thing. Watch what Paul says. Now I'm not speaking to those of you that want to be born again. I'm talking to you that are. Watch what he says. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Stand fast. Don't be wobbly in the liberty where Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. In other words, there's, there's no, there's no, um, it's never right to go back to the things you came out of. God didn't put a rocket under you to lift you up for a little while and plop you back down on the earth again. Let me tell you, he, he, he extracts us, he calls us out of this world, not to go back into the world, but to stay out of it. So therefore, one of the things that a believer has to do is to stay free in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. The second thing, Solomon writes, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning of it. The end of your Christian walk should be better than the beginning of your Christian walk. When you, I don't know about you, but when I came into the faith, I was a mess. I had cigarettes still in my pocket when I went to the baptismal pool. And when I took off my jacket and put it back on again, put my hand in there, I had a pack of cigarettes there. You know what? The body may be ravaged. Sister Greg went through all kinds of things in her last days and last months and, you know, in her mind and in her body. And I, I, I saw pictures of her and I talked to her on the phone and all the things that she went through there. But I'll tell you what, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints because God's not focused on the outside man. He knows that's not born again, number one. And number two, he knows that that's got a curse of death in it since the Garden of Eden. 
And thirdly, God knows that the real character is on the inside. The real eternal thing is on the inside. The real Faye Gregg is on the inside. And God's got a body prepared for her, a young body she can step into, and she'll be young forever, and she will be blessed forever in that permanent condition. And that's why Solomon says it's the end of the thing is better than the beginning. Be not hasty, verse 9, in thy spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. How many of you know an angry person? Don't put up your hand, because I know you don't want to be identified. Say not thou, say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Don't say, hey, it was better in the old days. It was better when I was out in the world or it was better when back there. God is, listen, God only has a forward direction. He doesn't have a backward direction. Somebody say amen. God's not going to bring us back to a former day, a former light, and a former message. God's not going to do that. God's moving us on the glory. I said God's moving us on the glory. And I say to you that are in the faith here, don't be discouraged because of things that you think lay ahead of you. God's got something great for the bride of Christ. Right? God's got something great for the bride of Christ. So don't say, all right, we'd just like to stop here, or we'd just like to go back to the way things were. You know what? It's not going to profit anybody if we just hang around wishing for another day. I say this, God, give me the strength to endure this day. Give me whatever I need to develop character to go into the next day and get into the right kingdom where I belong. And Solomon says, you can easily spend your time, and it's not wise for you to be looking back and saying, I wish I was back there, and I wish I was this age, and I wish I was that. Hey, listen, if you were meant to be back there, you'd be back there, because your life is under God's control. And I say this, Lord, here I am. This is what I face. This is what I deal with. Lord, give me the, give me the anointing to be able to rise above all that's there. Can I give you one more? In the book of Hebrews, Paul writes this to the believers. Call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated. Ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. Ye endured a great fight of afflictions. You ran well. What's happened? Well, stuff came up. Things happened. And Paul is encouraging them. He says, remember, you got to where you are because of his help. You got to where you are because of his grace. You got to where you are because God forgave you of your mistakes and you kept going. And you got to where you are because when you felt like quitting, the Holy Spirit was right there to give you the word in season that helped you to put one foot in front of the other. Come on, how many have experienced that in life? And Paul is, Paul is encouraging the believer to go on. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking about, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the onward path, the pressing on, the holding power uh, uh, that a believer has. As you've been given a, a great rocket to get you off the ground, and you've been given another one to give you a thrust towards the kingdom that you're meant to go to. And you know what? I believe when we walk into that kingdom, it'll not be because of a great big rocket going off. I think it'll be just another step. And prior to our destination, I believe to be, and there should be just little uh, jets on the side of the spacecraft that, you know, just go up, and they go off just to correct the trajectory of the believer. 
I mean, hey, we've been in the message a long time. You folks have been in this church a long time. You've heard lots of sermons. You've had, you've had uh, lots of insight into what the Bible says and means and all about the end time and so forth. And we're not people who are beginning the journey. Most of us, we're not people who are beginning the journey. We are people who've been on the journey a long time. God should be able to, you know, lay it on a preacher's heart to preach a certain way and adjust our trajectory just a little bit. Pshht, pshht. Problem is, sometimes it's only so small, it's just a little engine there, that sometimes we miss it, and we choose to ignore it. And then God's got to do something big, like stir your tank, and then you run out of, uh, run out of power. <laughs> you know, I mean, all kinds of problems happen then, right? You've got to go into drastic measures when you stir your tanks the wrong way. God should be able to adjust our trajectory pretty easily. A verse here, a quote here, a service here, you know, a, maybe a, a kneeling at the altar a little bit or by the side of your bed and, and just say, Lord, forgive me for that. And, you know, just adjusting that trajectory because, you know what, I, if I get it right, he knows exactly where we're going. He knows exactly how to get us there. And in my life, he's done a great thing. He set off a big rocket to get me out of where I was, out of the world and out of sin and out of drugs and out of all the other things that, that I was involved in and all my own thinking, my own ways and all that kind of stuff and got blasted me out of that. And you know what? By, by God's grace since then, you know, he packed enough fuel in that rocket just to get me to where he needs me to be. And I said, Lord, you got me this far. Just give me enough. Make sure there's enough fuel in the tank just to get the last part of the journey. Am I making sense? You gotta start somewhere, right? You gotta start. And, 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 and where, you, where you start is when you, you know, you, 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 you repent and you, and you realize, I, I'm, I'm not gonna make it on my own. I need Him. I'm a sinner. And it seems like God's still extending His hand and dealing with hearts and pulling people in. I believe that He is. I believe that He, I believe that we're still able to fill the pool and, Baptize folks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is scriptural baptism. I believe we're able to do that. But for you that are in the journey, there's all kinds of things that, are, that we deal with. Let me just give you an example here. Here's, and I, just, I won't be much longer, but I just want to say this. that Here's, here's a prophet looking, at, looking out in the 60s here, and he's looking out at things that are in the earth. And... Really, the Beatles, in comparison to what's going on today, is really child's play, right? I mean, it's almost, in a sense, it's almost juvenile to be worried about the Beatles music on the Ed Sullivan show. So why does Brother Man make it an issue? And he says, there will never, never, never come salvation to the world anymore. We've sinned away our day of grace, right? There's, there's nothing, nothing left anymore. They have passed their line between grace and judgment. You can put an Abraham Lincoln in every county in the U.S., and it'll never turn this bunch of Rickies and Elvises back to God. Seen in the paper where a Presbyterian church going through communion with rock and roll and the pastor standing there clapping his hands and going through at the motion, the crucifixion, shindigging it, rock and roll, and this low-down, screaming, filthy bunch of beetles. They turned, $100, turned down a $100,000 contract in St. Louis a few weeks ago. wouldn't stop for that. In other words, it's not worth it. And $100,000 in 1964 is a pretty good sum of money. 
And he says, come over here, a bunch of little renegade Englishmen with their hair hanging down in their eyes. Yeah, he's saying things in the sense that are really out of season, right? Now, now uh, John, Lennon made this, or, uh, John Lennon made this statement that, uh, you know, we're more popular than Jesus Christ, and that sparked an outrage over here. But it didn't stop anything, right? I mean, so in other words, what's Brother Bram looking at? He's looking at, he's looking at a principle here. That America, once was strong, founded on the right things, is now being invaded by other nations who are coming here and bringing this kind of uh, music and the spirits that go with it and all of this change in the styles and all the rest of it. In other words, there's a, a rebelliousness about them, right? There's an there's a in-your-face attitude about these guys. And you can see what that music and that, at that spirit that got loose, what it births. It births in our country. All kinds of other music that comes from that. And, all, and then all kinds of movements. In the 60s, you know, there's lots of young people that are looking everybody in the face and say, I dare you to kick us out of the university or whatever else, you know, and they're doing sit-ins and all the rest of it. And it's just, there's a rebellion that's there. And, and now, now you kind of see where that's gone. So what's Brother Ram looking at? He's looking at the principle of how when these things come in, when a nation forsakes God, when a nation takes the Spirit of Christ and pushes it away, takes the Bible out of schools and all the rest of it and takes it out, you now create a vacuum for something else to rush in. And Satan is right there to rush in. And he doesn't rush in with full force, but he rushes in with a handful of seeds and throws them down. And all of a sudden now we turn, we wake up in the harvest and say, ha, how did we get here? Well, we got here because there was something removed back then. And I'd say this to us who are believers here. You know, America was once strong. We know now it's not, right? We know it's cha- things have changed. And, and, and here's, here's a prophet who's looking at this and he's saying that, you know, even in, even in the churches, here's a pastor clapping his hand. That's a long way from where we've come to Hillsong today, right? If you know anything about that. Talk about corruption in the churches and, and all the, the business and the money and all of those things here. And that's where we come to it. And no wonder God's on the outside. I mean, the picture is in Laodicea that Jesus is on the outside knocking, trying to get in because he's not even welcome in there used to be welcome in the nation and in the churches and, you know, among the people. And now he's not even, now he's, not, he's on the outside. What a place. What a place. So we have a, a generation beginning around 1964 where you have, a, 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 you know, a nation that he said is falling apart. They've sinned away their day of grace. But you have believers within that. You have believers inside that system. Inside that cosmos, you have believers that are in there who marry other believers and have little believers who grow up to have families themselves and grow up to have families themselves. But you know what? When they sinned away their day of grace, they never came back and asked for grace. They stayed away from grace. And now things have become so secular that there's a generation out there that are being raised and don't even know whether they're boys and girls. What kind of spirits are we dealing with here? What kind of nonsense are we dealing with? It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get forlorn about the, the, the things that we're 
you know, we're looking at here, and he's, he's pegging these things way back there, 50, 60 years ago. He's, he's identifying these things right here. If that's not checked, if that's not stopped, if the nation is not strong enough to deal with that, it's not only the Beatles you're going to have to worry about. It's not just bangs that we're going to have to worry about. You're going to see generations raise up that stand and look God in the face and say, so what? Who cares? So now we have a generation that's called, a group that's called nothings. That are nothing. They identify with no faith, have no religious connection or uh, you know, affiliation at all whatsoever. They're called nothings. I, I just want to say to you this morning in closing, I just want to say that the scripture is full of admonitions for people to come into Christ because that's the safe place. And you'll never make it outside of him. But number two, when you're in him, there's all kinds of scriptures and admonitions that encourage us to stay in him and to walk in that light, walk as children of light. Keep pressing on. And to keep believing that no matter how bad it gets, election still stands. God's got his eye on you. God cares about you. And he watches over even when you're asleep. He cares about where you're going and the decisions you make. He loves you. He loves you despite yourself. He loves you. And he wants the very best for you. And I believe if we knew probably how far this is going to go on, because, hey, we're looking at a time when the iniquity of the Amorites is just about full. I believe that pretty soon, I believe that things are going to change. They're going to shut down. And I believe if we could hear his voice today, he'd be saying, hang on, hold on. There's great things ahead. Let's have our musicians, if you will, just slip right up here. Now, let me tell you a little story. I've mentioned this to you before, but several years ago when we had a trip to Israel and we were over there, and our guide, our guide's mother was a survivor at Auschwitz. She had, she still had the number on her forearm. And, um, she was just an amazing lady, and our guide told us about her, and um, she's still alive. She's quite old, but she's still alive. And I asked her, I said, man, do you think we could get her to come and we could meet her and we could talk to her and she could address us as a group? As I said, you know, that's an astounding thing that your mother survived Auschwitz. And she stood in front of Dr. Mengel twice, and he he motioned for her to go to the living side, brought it in the crematorium twice, you know, and, and she actually did it. She was a very young girl. She told us she, she had an extraordinary experience. And I said, do you think it would be possible that, that she could come? And so she called her mother, and mother said, sure, because there's two kinds of survivors of the Holocaust, the people who never say a word, never talk about it at all, and then the other kind are the ones who want to talk about it, they want to tell the story, they want to make sure everybody understands that this actually happened. She was one of those. So she came. We met in Jerusalem in a hotel, and in the basement they gave us a room, so we had her come, and she, she took, uh, and we have a video. The video is very poor, but we have a video, and her picture's in there. 
And she, she told us her story. She told us everything that took place and how she, uh, as a young girl, when the Germans came and took her from Poland and, you know, brought her to the, brought her to these camps. And I couldn't understand why all of this was happening. And it was just uh, so unusual. And the families were divided. And at the end of it, uh, like, there was only her and a distant cousin way down the road was the only one in the family tree that was still alive. Everybody else died at the hands of Hitler. I mean, it was incredible how much death had struck her family. And then when she went back after it was all over and the war was over and they opened up the doors of the camp and she went back to her hometown, she walked up to her house that she had left years ago and walked up to her house and knocked on the door. And this woman came out and said, Yes, can I help you? And she said, This is my house. The woman said, no, it ain't. This is our house. And they had no recollection of her. They thought they were, she was uh, dead and, and she was not allowed in the house. She, she, they, they turned her away and she went off. And she said, no one in the town wanted to see me. They all thought, well, there must be something wrong with those Jewish people because, you know, they, they were so persecuted. There must, where there's smoke, there's fire. And she told a story then after the, the concentration camp, how horrible it was that everyone rejected her because she had been to the camps. And had no family and no one to turn to. and I mean, the, the level of suffering was just in her voice. It was just so heavy listening to her talk. And I was thinking all the time as she was saying this. I was thinking, in the God of this evil age, Brother Brandon makes a statement. He said, you know what that was? He said, that was the tender hand of Jehovah leading them back to the tree of life. I did not want to give her that statement. But I mentioned something about God. I said something about God to her just in the conversation. And she turned to me really fast. She jerked like that and turned to me real fast. She said, there is no God. She said, there could not be a God and know what was going on in those camps. There could not be a God and have such evil exist in that place. She looked, at, she looked at me like Sister Gregg looked at me. And she said, there could not be a God who lives. And in my heart, I never said it to her, but in my heart, I, I felt like saying to her, Sister, just hold on. Live a little longer. Because one day, he will come to Israel. And you'll see him. And see the marks in his hands and his side and his feet and say this is the one we crucified and I said he, I thought to myself he'll redeem Israel he'll, he'll bring him back bring all of Israel back again I said if you just live long enough rather than let me explain it just live long enough till you experience him coming back to visit Israel again one more time in his mercy and in his grace to redeem you and to bring you back into the light again I don't know whether she's still alive. We don't know whether she's still alive. But I believe if, if, just in the scheme of things, with all of the things that are taking place, it, you have to think about the, the mind of God that would say, just hold on a little longer. Just to the Jews, just hold on a little longer. A lot of things don't make sense, but just hold on. There's a time for all of this. 
And there's a season why we're here. And there's a, there's a time when we're going to go. And when we go, that, that allows, that, that's a tripwire for, for the two prophets to rise up in Israel and to be able to preach the same message that we enjoy. I don't know who I'm speaking to here today. I don't know. I just feel strangely stirred, and I, I, I trust that it, it will maybe help somebody because if, if, if you've never experienced, maybe you're a young people raised in this, in this place here, but you've never really fully surrendered your life to Christ. Well, let me tell you, that's, that's, a, that's a first place to start. That's a good place. But number two, if you've started in the way, if, if you've walked in the light, I want to encourage you to keep going. And, and don't, don't be distracted by all the things that are out there to distract you. But just press on and just believe that. If we hold on just a little bit further, God's going to make sense out of a lot of things. And he doesn't want you to go back. Solomon says it's not wise to go back and look back. But we, we are they that don't draw back. But we are of the type of people that press on towards the prize, the high calling in Christ Jesus. That's exactly what he wants us to do. We are honored to be called. We are honored to be chosen. We are honored to be where we are today because we are where we are by the grace of God. And we are what we are by the grace of God. Even though none of us are perfect in our flesh, I'll tell you this. I believe that he wants every one of us to press on and to carry on to the place that he has ordained for us because it's real. It's very real. Let's stand to our feet. Let's just worship him for a little bit this morning. Hold hold your atmosphere just for a little bit. And do this while we're while we're just singing and worshiping. Just say, Lord, I'm not here to tell you what to do. And I'll I'm ready to let go. I'm ready to give my heart completely to you. Do that this morning. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Right now. Yes, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. So we lift our hands and we bow our knees, worship at your throne. Right. 
Let's all sing this together. He has forgiven me my sins have been washed from his memory by the Father, as we come to the end of another service, we thank you, Lord, because you, you always have something to say to us. And Lord, we don't want to be just hearers of the word and observers. We want to be people who walk as children of light. We want to walk in the knowledge you've given to us. We want to walk in the revelation you've given to us. We believe, Lord, you're here to help us to do that because we'll never live the life of Christ without Christ in us. So, Lord, I pray you deal with hearts. And for those, Lord, that may not know you, may not have ever surrendered their life to you, Lord, that you would just continue, Lord, to convict their hearts and help them realize that there's no way they could navigate through this life to the right destination without you. We thank you, Lord, for your healing power. We thank you, Lord, for your care to us. Lord, may now you just minister to each and every family as we go. Be our guide. Be our strength and our constant companion. We ask these things, Lord, in your name and for your glory. Bless our families, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. He is here.
So much more. 